0: Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp, where we talk about jobs that don't exist during coronavirus. I'm Ryan John. I'm Brandon Draper. I'm uh, the unemployed Joe Santarpia. <laughs> I think it's a lot funnier when nobody knows what's going to be said there. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. That's That's great. great. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about building a front-of-house mix. Um, considering the three of us pretty regularly do front-of-house... Uh, this one is, is quite fun for us. Front of house is pretty much my only gig. Uh, Brendan and and Joe do a lot of other stuff. They do a lot of monitor gigs and stuff like that in the venues. But we're going to jump into the details of setting up talkbacks, getting your output routing together, how to set your output faders, uh, order of channels, uh, and things like gain staging. This is going to be a fun one for all of us. So, I agree. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. I'm excited.
0: So, Brendan, why don't you tell me about the one thing that makes me very mad every single day when I do a show?
2: Uh, would that be is that like catering or is that like when you have to actually push <laughs> Oh. <laughs> when you have to push up yeah, when I actually have to push a case? Oh my yeah, god, when you have it's to the push worst. a case. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> you know, actually I don't know what that's like. I haven't done it in so long I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I could use the exercise. I probably could use the exercise. <laughs> no, but but for, for 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 serious moment um, talkbacks. It's the one thing that yes. makes me super frustrated when it comes to setting up shows and stuff. I'm always the, blown away by how long it takes to get these things up and running. Right. The lack, last for the
2: lack of talkbacks, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And maybe I, mean, it, it, I
0: guess I guess there's been plenty of shows where I've done it and there just hasn't been the I don't know resources for some strange reason to be able to plug in a talkback, and I'm just I'm just blown away by this being okay. It's
1: something I wish I didn't have to say, you know. It's I I wish it was just done, but more often than not, I find myself being like, "Yo, where's the talkback?" And then like you know, as as we're about to start calling soundcheck, like someone being like, "Oh yeah, shit, Uh, let me me we gotta go
0: here." Uh, <laughs> right, because you just walk up to front of the house and you go, "There's gonna be a talk back there," and then when you get there and there isn't, it's surprising. Yet it shouldn't be anymore. Yeah, it's like if and I then, wasn't here, um, how,
1: how would you, how do you expect to do this? You know,
0: do you guys just yell 150 feet? I will in the I will if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I do too. Sometimes it's just it's just annoying, and it kind of makes you look like a bit of a prick, doesn't it? Well, no when, one you, makes when you when you ask. When you ask for it, or when you're yelling? No, nah, when you're yelling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I am a bit of a prick, so it's it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so is well, there a yeah. size and scale of show where talkbacks don't matter anymore? Is it like like
2: is is there it is there a point where it's so small that like you guys wouldn't care about having one? Not not if there's two engineers on a gig. I don't think any show I've worked where there's a monitor engineer and a front of house engineer that talkbacks weren't necessary. I mean, it's
1: Small, more than that though. You know, like a little PA on sticks or something, you know, depending Yeah. On, it, how about this? If, if, if how about like a capacity thing, if there's more than like, you know, 20, 30 other people in the room, then maybe have a talk back.
2: Maybe. Right. But I'm saying like, yeah. if it's actually a gig <laughs> that has two engineers, then you're probably going to need a talk back always yeah but let's be
0: real let's be real if it's a gig that doesn't even have two engineers it's still gonna have musicians on stage and an engineer right so maybe when the room's empty and you guys are sound checking you don't need it because you can just yell at each other but the moment it's full of people in their suits drinking their wine and doing their fancy whatever you can't just yell at the musician anymore i mean Mm -hmm. you can (laughs) but you probably shouldn't yeah true um anyways so
2: brendan brendan give me the rundown all right, so I mean, we've got a lot of different scenarios, but uh, you know, you've got either your talkback like mic that's going through your desk, or it's like a direct feed to the monitor console, which is going out to the musicians, or um, you've got what are called shout boxes, where there's just like a, there's a little speaker by monitors and by front of house and you've got a mic that's just going straight into that going all the way to the monitor engineer and just back and forth so you can shout at each other right so so if i've got it going through my desk w- what's the actual basic routing so if it's going through your desk um, you're going to need to obviously hit a channel with your talk back and then the output either like the direct out from that channel or like an aux out is gonna go to one of the outputs from your desk, and that's gonna go down the snake back to monitors, right? And then they're gonna use use a return from you as an input on their desk, or or if you are using like a digital console, then it then it then it'll go over Ethernet back out to like the stage box down at monitors right, or, or BNC yeah. or
0: whatever the digital snake is. Yeah. So so the basics are microphone plugged into my front of house console. I set up a channel where I'm receiving that microphone. Then I send a direct out to some physical output, either right. physical output on my desk. And it's going through an analog snake up to monitors, or it's a physical output on my stage rack. That's already up by monitors. Right. And then they take an XLR from that stage rack output and plug it into their desk into a channel so that they can hear it and they can send it to musicians. Right? Right. right. Exactly. Sweet. And then, now well, I know how I s- to do
2: that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And vice versa, right, for the monitor engineer going to, I mean, we're talking about front of house, but yeah, kind of
0: Well, going both directions. Well, you know, that, 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 is, that is something I want to mention, actually, since we're talking about talkbacks. Um, it is considered kind of normal in our industry for monitor guys to plug straight into their own desks, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so monitor guys, they can speak to the stage, but at that point, front of house can't hear the monitor guy if they're saying something, right? Yep. Yeah. So... What do you do? you uh, I, I have a huge problem with that. And I always tell my monitor guy to plug into the split so that I also have the Monder engineer's channel up at front of house. Because I find it frustrating if the monitor engineer and the musicians are having a conversation and I don't understand what's going on. Especially mm-hmm. if they're trying to change something that may affect me or if they're trying to troubleshoot something and I can help them by letting them know that maybe I do or I don't also receive a channel. So, you so gonna, in my opinion, you're it, put it, him through nonsense. The PA? Well, I'll, maybe. Or I'll put him through headphones. I mean, if it's sound check, I can put him through the PA. Why not? There's got to be a better way. Yeah, there's
2: definitely a better way. Brendan, tell me about the better way. <laughs> 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 the better way? I mean, so if you want to hear your monitor engineer and what he's saying there, I mean, well, if you have like a shout, if you have like a. I guess yeah. if you had a wedge by front of house position, oh, <laughs> I don't need it to be a whole wedge. <laughs> what is this? What is That'd this? Cool? this Monitoring. I mean, how else are you house? gonna? No. How else are you gonna hear them except through the PA or through headphones on your desk? Through a shout speaker, man, a, shout, a shout speaker. It's like well, a shout that's kind of the same thing like... as having a wedge up there.
0: Yeah, kind of. Except yeah, it's, it's like, a... like usually like a three inch speaker <laughs> as opposed right. to a wedge. Right, right, right. <laughs> I've seen I've seen like a K twelve for a shout. You've
1: seen a what? I've seen like a K twelve used for a shout like some festivals. You know they have that. Wow, they have them like pretty li- or you know or like the sound company like you know they're they're they might be out of shout you know little shout boxes or something like that. So mm-hmm. they just send a <laughs> just send a, send just a wedge, send another yeah.
0: PA box. Yeah, <laughs> UPJ. Yeah, if they got them. You, you know, know I I I uh, I have seen it where um, they, they basically set up a full on mini PA for front of house, right? Oh, that rules. And I, I love when they do for that. sound and checks? It's especially good for sound checks and things like that, yeah. especially if it's a festival, if there's another stage happening, things like that. And they'll set it up so you can route your monitor bus through it, but you can also use it for shout. Yeah. I, rem- I remember <laughs> doing that at some festival, I think it was like Belgium or something like that. And it's the coolest because you can time it so it's in time with the PA. So if you cue something, you don't actually have to put headphones on, you can cue it through a mini PA that's in front of you. Yeah, But, um, I I totally stole that idea and now when I tour I tour with a pair of you know small studio monitors so that I can do virtual sound check before the PA's available or virtual sound check quietly without having to do anything you know loud for everybody else and I've got it set up so you know my monitor bus feeds them but if I hit a button on my console the left one becomes my shout speaker and the right one becomes my monitor bus Mm. so that so when i'm doing virtual centric in the morning and nobody else is on it i can just use it as a you know little mini pa for myself but then the moment the show starts press a button now i can hear all talkbacks through my shout and i yeah. still have a uh monitor bus on my right side it's pretty cool that's, that's tight. awesome
2: yeah one venue i work yeah. at the the mix positions all the way in the back corner but they have two like myers speakers like mounted in the ceiling so you Whoa. can like uh, nice check check your mix right there which is really helpful in that situation. I, f- I feel like we got a little bit
0: off topic from shout systems, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the other point to make about shouts in general though, is there are shout systems that exist that do not go through your consoles at all. Yeah. And those are most often seen at festivals. And the idea there is that at a festival, there may be guest desks coming in and out all day uh, in both monitors and, and, um, and uh, uh, front of house world. And as a result of those changing all the time, they can't rely on running your talkbacks through consoles. So instead, they keep a wholly separate system where there's a microphone that basically goes straight to the other box at Monitor World, and there's a microphone at Monitor World that goes straight to front of house. And the other bonus here is that the system. Engineers, the 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 patch guys, the front of house tech, the systems tech, uh, monitor tech—all those guys can also communicate with each other without really interfering with you while you're working on your show or getting your stuff up and running. Mm-hmm. Right. It's pretty nice, dedicated. And then we've got ClearCom. Yeah. Com- yeah. Communication is important. Mm-hmm. Communication is super important. And then we've got ClearCom, right. which gets used a lot in corporate, a lot in theater, uh, tons in broadcast. Not as much in. Pouring live sound, but a good right. amount in of install live sound. It's around. I mean, what's what's the perk of ClearCom versus a shout system? I would say ClearCom I mean, is is
1: is more of a, a scenario where being kind of quiet is key, or if it's so loud that you can't hear a shout, and the shout would have to be unreasonably loud, you know. So the idea is there's a beacon, which is like a light, and whoever's on you know the endpoint of the ClearCom can page the person on the other end with a button that'll activate this light that'll blink in theory right The I, call I, I, button. yeah in theory it would, it'll blink uh so that the other person on the other line can you know on the other side can see it pick up the phone or headset or whatever it is and uh speak discreetly you know that way you're saying
0: yeah, if you've in, ever seen someone on because, the phone sorry go go ahead Brendan.
2: i was saying you're saying in theory because a lot of times i've been well probably in mine and yours experience go. sometimes it's just <laughs> where
1: the beacon is just nowhere just nothing the happens out. the beacon's
0: under the front of house console and it's blinking yeah, I was gonna all I've hell. Oh, god <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen times where i can see the beacon flashing but i can see that they can't see the beacon flashing because yeah. there's like a bunch of stuff in the way yeah as a member of the audience you can see the beacon that's that's the most embarrassing and the engineer is just like oh, yeah. where it gets real fun is when the audience looks over they're like why are you on the phone yeah. yeah, Who are you calling? <laughs> yeah. And who has, some who has analog phones? Like yeah. Telephone handsets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those rule. I think it's pretty cool, actually. And then yeah. just, just for those of you, if you've never used these before, yeah, it looks like an old, you know, standard analog telephone handset. Yeah. But in the handle is the button to talk. So if you're not pressing that, it's muted so that, you know, the other end doesn't have to listen to a blaringly loud show. Yeah. But if you need to speak, you just press that button and speak into it.
2: Here's, here's something to touch on real quick. Um, for your talkbacks from front of house, do you usually just use a switched 58 or ha- what kind of mic are you using when you're setting it Switch
1: up? ideally, you know, 58 great.
2: Depends how
0: lazy I am. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, cause switch 58. Yeah, great. That's the easy one. Um, that is one of those things that's actually as a front of house engineer or monitor engineer, you should probably own because you don't really want to start sticking your face on microphones that have been used by a hundred thousand other people and never been cleaned. So if you're going to use a switch mic for your talk back, you should just bring your own every time switches are great. Um, There have been many scenarios where I've been a lot lazier than that. And I've put an optigate gate on my microphone and just put it on a stand. (laughs) Wow. Uh, And for those of you that don't know an optigate. gate, is an automatic switch so that when there's nothing in front of the microphone, it cuts off the microphone, and when you move to in front of it, it automatically unmutes it. So if I'm being lazy and I don't want to flip a switch, I just lean into my microphone, talk and say whatever does I need to say, and then lean away from it, and I'm
2: good. (laughs) I, I own a bunch of them. I don't know why I own them, but I have them, so I use them. Wow! And just for ev- just for everybody, that's a little. It plugs right into the XLR that plugs into your microphone, right? Yeah, and it's it, a little you know, inline like a plug. Sensor. Yeah, yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, they're unreasonable. They're also unreasonably expensive. So maybe, yeah, uh, like maybe don't do bucks, that. Right? Yeah, I think I bought like four of them for three hundred bucks. Like I got them oh, used wow. off of somebody. That's why I have them. Otherwise, oh. I don't think I would have ever spent that kind of money. But, <laughs> anyways, all right, so. That's the base. The, the reason I say talkbacks are the base is because they are probably the first thing you should get up and running because anything you do after that um, may need communication with the stage. And mm-hmm. if you don't have your talkbacks up and running, you're already missing that. So start there. Get your talkbacks up and running. However it may be that you're going to do it, You know, even if it is just a talkback into a channel through headphones, just mm-hmm. make sure that you can hear what's going on on stage and make sure that they can hear you. Yep. So, what's next? Well,
1: you want to talk about some output routing? Yeah, that sounds like a fun one. All right. Um, you know, we touched, this, we touched on this uh, a bit in, oh, what was it, like the front of house signal flow episode. Um, we'll just go briefly over it again. You know, um, when we talk about output routing, we're talking about how the signal coming into your console is going to go out of it to the speakers. Um you're considering all of your different sets of speakers um, here. So, you know, uh, your your main left PA, your main right PA, your subs, your front fills, any other zones, things like that. Um, the first, I don't know, I, I guess we should talk about like mix bus, like left, right, you know.
0: To? yeah yeah i think so i mean l- l- you know like, let's talk about it from the most basic to the most complicated yeah, you know, yeah yeah if you got a mono mix then yeah you just have one output great right. that's let's skip over that because that right. pretty much doesn't exist anymore <laughs> right left right. right left right you know
1: that's 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 your main your master fader you know the the main mix bus of your console um in most scenarios all of your inputs are going to be coming out through that and then being fed to your speakers from there. Um, We talked in that Mm -hmm. uh, Front House Signal Flow episode about matrices. Um, Typically, you know, you'll have your left-right feeding matrices which are then feeding your speakers more or less. Right. Right. <clears throat> so you know uh left feeding the left matrix right feeding the right matrix um a you know attenuated sum of both of those feeding the subs and attenuated sum of both those feeding the front fills and then whatever else so, so
0: why are you attenuating the sum for sub and front fills
1: well because you're sending the left and the right you know for like front fills and so you, you want to make sure that not just you know if you have something that has for subs if, you, if something that has low end content and it if for some reason it's panned you know, you want to make sure that uh, it hits the subs evenly, I guess. So you just want to yeah, make... so so You're summing the left and the right, more or less. And because you're doing that, uh, it's coupling and amplifying. Um, so in order right. to make sure that everything's coming out at unity and at the same level, uh, the things that you're feeding the left and right summed, you're going to attenuate them by... You know, depending on how your system is set up, uh, minus three or minus six is our, our typical you know values for that. Um, and then, and then, and then,
0: same for front fill.
1: And then, same for front fills, right?
0: Um, and and any other mono, mono uh, output, really. Um, right, right. So, so here's a question: When you're doing a show, you've got potentially left, right, sub, and front fill as your outputs that are ultimately going to the PA. Right. Where do you route that by default? Do you just do analog 1234 on your console's output? Or do you do stage rack 1234? Do you do AES 1234? Do you do, I don't know, 5, 12, 19, 26? Like, uh, what's your usual? yeah well, don't do that last one by the way <laughs> right if your answer is that last one, you're fired. you're off this podcast. That's it. you're done,
2: yeah, just put it on I don't I even did, know what numbers. I just just said. put it on your output patch and let them figure it out. you know,
0: yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> on the sheet? oh God
1: you know um it in, uh, entirely dependent on the venue where you're working you know this might be laid out differently but uh, you know a standard that i've seen you know is like is one two three four left right sub front and that's either you know digital you know aes digital aes outputs from the console or uh, or analog or sometimes there's like an analog backup to the digital main so so in my traveling show file i'll have you know that set up and mirrored analog to digital so left left right sub front analog output one, two, three, four, and additionally left, right, sub front. Um, uh, Did I already say analog or digital? Anyway, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you duplicate it
0: to the analog and to the digital.
1: Right, right. And as far as, you know, stage rack versus local, um, again, depend on the situation. Maybe in some show files,
2: I have it on all of them. Um, Maybe that could get a little dangerous, but. Doesn't it? Yeah. Does it just depend on where your system processor is? Exactly. Like, like a yeah, physi- pretty much, physically
0: yeah. located. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, the what ugh, ugh, words,
2: <laughs> <laughs> words.
0: <laughs> no, but uh, w- what I was going to say is, yeah, I mean, exactly. As you said, it's a pretty much a standard left, right, sub fill, you know, yeah. one, two, three, four. But I, I think one of the things to point out is that when you arrive at a venue you're unfamiliar with, it should be one of the early questions you ask. What is the output patch to your system? Like, well, what do you need? Yeah. And we just, mm-hmm. they'll tell you They'll They might just go, we just have left, right. And subs are part of left, right. And you go, okay, mm-hmm. well then I need to send them a left, right. And there is no s- extra subs and there is no front fill. They might say it's left, right, sub, uh, fill. Uh, there's an additional left, right. that go to some other thing. There's an additional bar feed. There's an additional this, and they might need more. Right. So, That should be an early on question you ask to make sure that you can prep your show to match it. And, you know, you can do that on site, but it's certainly easier if you are already built in such a way where you have something like a matrix that does left, then right, then sub, then front fill, you know, various matrices, because then it'll be easier for you to kind of reroute as necessary. Yeah. Um, and I a, would suggest in general keep a couple extra matrices as well that are I was duplicates just going to say stereo and duplicates of mono and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a
1: couple extras just on deck just, you know, any other zones, bar feeds, record feeds, all that kind of
0: thing, you know, have a couple extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So what about what about alternates? I mean like, you know, yeah. some some guys don't like doing sub as a sum of their left and right.
1: Right. I think I think when we're some talking Some guys, about, some
0: girls. Oh,
1: oh yeah. Uh, I, think, I think when we're talking about alternates, we're talking about basically using auxes for outputs. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, that sometimes that applies. Sometimes uh, some people prefer to do it that way, having subs on an aux rather than on a matrix. Um, uh, what does that mean? Um, it means that you're, to feed your subs, you send from an aux basically so instead of left right feeding your subs ox whatever feeds your subs and that's done then and then sent to the subs per channel from its ox send
0: gotcha um
1: one you know you know a a lot of conflicting opinions on that and you know everyone does their own thing generally speaking i'd say like smaller club scenarios subs on an ox tends to be maybe a little bit more useful don't want to get into too much hot water saying that
0: but um (laughs) I'd, I don't but, disagree with you at all. You what? For for once, I don't disagree with you at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um, one value I will say that it does have, even if you're putting your aux ends at Unity, is it physically... It's a way to, routing-wise, physically remove something 100% from the subs. Mm-hmm. So,
0: right. So...
1: So you can create a scenario where there is no way, no matter how, where the high pass filter is at, uh, that a vocal will end up in, you
0: know, being amplified f- by the subs,
1: you know. And right, Take right.
0: with that what you will, you know. Yeah, and, and, and some of the typical paths for that is is people will typically send a kick drum to it, maybe a floor tom to it, bass right. guitar, bass. key bass, and maybe some playback if it exists. And right. that's it. And subsequently, that means uh, pun, good pun. <laughs> subsequently, <laughs> uh, that means that your subwoofer is not dealing with all the extra other instruments on stage mm-hmm. and sending it that way as well. And you can send the sub level at a different level than the level to your mains.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and where that gets kind of useful, exactly, as Joe just said, in small clubs sometimes the level between the mains and the sub is not necessarily linear. Or maybe when the room fills up, the, the low end kind of moves in a different way than the rest of the PA does because maybe it's just not set up in an optimal way, right? In mm-hmm. that case, you can use this to control just the amount of low end from a kick drum rather than turning the kick drum up to the whole thing. Right. Or right. same for ba- or same for bass and same for other instruments. And, and as Joe said, you know, you can keep the sub send a little cleaner. What's... What's the negative
2: to it though?
1: Well, I mean, for, this is f- yeah. Go ahead.
2: I mean, for one, you eat up an ox, and so if you need more ox ends for like effects or mm-hmm. whatever, you are down one. There's that.
0: There's definitely that, and the, my my biggest negative is that your record feed is never remotely correct True, if right. you've been using subs on an ox because you're kind of controlling the management of your show using this alternate mix and mm-hmm. then when you listen to your record feed it's often not very representative of what the show kind of was but you know again if we jump back to joe's point in small clubs your record feed is often way off anyways because yeah. you don't necessarily need that you know blaring overhead in the mix yeah. and you don't necessarily need those blaring guitar amps in the mix so your yeah, record is you not, not really going to be that representative anyways yeah yeah, yeah. So there are other scenarios where, where people put stuff on auxes as well, like front fills every once in a while, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I've seen it done. Um, it, there's a venue in San Francisco called the chapel where the stage is kind of in the round or, or it's like a half circle, sorry. And uh, okay. a good amount of the crowd gets in front of the PA and the front fills are kind of a, a touchy thing and the, and the, the, Engineers there have it set up so that the front fills are actually on an aux, and Mm -hmm. um, that way they can keep things like guitar amps out of them, because the people standing, like, on the lip of that stage are getting absolutely blasted, like, directly to the face with guitars, and they have no need Mm -hmm. for that in the front fills, you know? Um, (laughs) Things like that, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess the idea there is that anything that's not already making noise on stage... You can choose to put in front fills. So, yeah. for example, a vocal. It's, that's not amplified on stage. Maybe keyboards they're not amplified on stage. Yeah, You know, that kind of thing. And thus, you can build a completely separate submix for those front fills that is right. not related to your left-right.
1: It's definitely complicated. It definitely, like, <laughs> takes some more time. And, um, you know, sound checks are... It, it, it complicates sound checks, for sure. But, you know, in the end, it's useful. Yeah, and,
0: and, you know, at the end of the day, you also have to remember that The mains and the front fills do overlap at some point in physical space, you know, so what's coming through the front fills is going to affect what the people here, not only the ones that are in front of the front fills, but the ones that are also in front of the front fills and the main PA, Mm -hmm. they're going to get a really odd balance of what the show is. So, you know, there are, there are certainly positives and there are negatives to it. You know, the subs on an ox thing has, has spawned many an internet debate and I'm sure many people have been kicked out of forums and kicked out (laughs) of the world, you know, by, by having an opinion there. And (laughs) I have a strong opinion there, but I also understand where it has value and where it does make sense to use it. I don't do it. Do you guys do that? Subs on an ox? Depends on the situation. I,
2: I, I don't do it unless I'm, I have to. Like, depending See, on I the think Joe just gave club. us the best
0: answer. I mean, depends what, on the situation. That was a better answer than when I said. I said I don't do it, and that's probably <laughs> wrong because there are going to be scenarios where I probably should do it. <laughs> Fortunately, though, since you know I don't have to move any gear or push shit out of the truck, <laughs> I'm going to make someone else do it. Damn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, all right. But, Short mm-hmm.
0: mention. We we also have to point out that if you're doing monitors in front of house, you do need to do some output routing for that.
1: Right, right. right. Uh, you yeah pre-fader auxes. Hopefully on a different bank from your effects, if you can help it, um, you know, yeah,
0: just a quick, quick mention. Yeah, quick mention. I mean, I, I think we kind of jumped through that in the monitors uh, podcast, so maybe we don't need to go too deep here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the next point, and and we're kind of going, uh, you know, back to front. We're we're kind of doing what, what would be called top-down mixing here, where you, you look at the outputs and then kind of move backwards towards the inputs. I love top-down um, mixing. It's. <laughs> I, I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing. No,
1: Output he's talking about point. driving in a convertible. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I, I,
0: I really, I really thought you were going to make some some weird like half naked joke there. Like, oh. I love mixing without my shirt. No, on. No, I I, I was legitimately I was talking too. about top top down mixing. See, <laughs> so, do you do you see what do you see what Brennan and I think of you? Both of
2: us <laughs> thought that.
1: I mean, you know, respect. I mean, it, it makes. Pro- I,
2: I feel like at a Mac DeMarco show, that would make sense right. if you took your yeah, shirt off, I, Joe. I deserve that. Yeah, it's well, it's happened. If I, 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 think I think need to there. go
0: see your show, man. I can't believe I have not seen a <laughs> Mac show yet. Yeah, maybe I've only seen will be one again maybe one day. Somewhere around, Maybe somewhere around 2025 we'll be yeah. able to do one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, so top down, um, setting your outputs at Unity level. So, you know, your output matrix faders... Your mains output faders, uh, let's say aux masters, if you're using auxes to feed things like subs, front fills, that kind of stuff, set all those to Unity. And the reason there is that when you have an output fader at Unity, you have the greatest granularity of movement of that fader. If you move it a half inch up, you're only moving, I don't know, 3, 4 dB. Whereas if your fader is down at you know the minus 20 range, when you move it a half inch down, you might be moving 10 dB at a time. So it's a lot less sensitive in a good way around the unity position than it is when it is at the lower extreme. Right. But in, ad- in addition to that, I guess we need to point out that the purpose of your gain structure for your outputs in your desk really is that the level coming out of your desk on your meter at unity should be the level going into the next processor in the chain roughly at unity. So if you're going into a system processor, if you send pink noise out of your desk at Unity and on your desk meters you're seeing it at Unity, um, on your system processor input, you should also see it at Unity. And in theory, that means that when you play your show, it is optimized for gain through the whole system, meaning you've got a bunch of headroom that you can use both in your desk and also the same amount-ish headroom in the system processor that is, in theory, also optimized for the PA itself and the headroom available in the PA now sometimes it doesn't work that way and sometimes it's just because the calibration of how a system's input uh just doesn't line up with the actual voltage output of a a console or you know digital output and you know vice versa sometimes some consoles put more physical voltage into an output than others uh And subsequently, some consoles will look like they are louder to a system processor than others. Now, I guess this jumps to when we don't keep it at Unity. There is a proper way to manage that. If my console, I'm sending noise at Unity, and on the system processor it's showing up at minus 6, I should trim that up on the system processor up by 6 so that my Unity hits it at 6. And if it's the other way around, if my console sending out at Unity shows up on the system processor at plus 9... We should trim that down on the system processor so that my Unity shows up as the system processor's Unity. There are some scenarios where you don't have the ability to do that. Sometimes when you're a guest engineer, you do not have access to what is inside of that system processor. Sometimes you simply don't have the time to go through this. I mean, festivals, I don't know when the last time I was supporting on a festival and actually got to figure this out. Headlining, yeah, sure, great. We get a full PA check, but when you're supporting, you don't. Right. and those are the times where I'll move my, uni- my outputs from Unity so if I show up at a gig and let's say it's line check only festival that kind of thing I'm listening to the band before me they're measuring 99 A weighted cool and when my show starts right away um, on that first downbeat I'm like oh man we're only at 93 and it should be more than that I will mm-hmm. take my matrices and push them up Mm -hmm. And sometimes it works the other way, but I will say it is a lot easier to turn a show up than it is to turn a show down. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. Have you ever come out of the gate too hot?
1: Yeah. I I would say that that depends on, again, depends on the situation, you know, big, big
0: PA versus smaller PA kind of thing, you know, that's true. That's true. But yeah, there have, there have been one or two instances where I've come out of the gate definitely too hot and from an impact perspective and an audience feel perspective, coming out hot and backing it off always feels like you're making it small. Yeah. And it feels weaker than it did a moment ago. Yeah. Whereas going the other way, it feels nice and big as you
2: kind of tuck it upwards, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause on that first chorus, you can pump it up, you know, to like totally louder up. Uh, so, I mean, I,
0: are there any other times where you, you know, move your output faders from unity? What, what are some of the scenarios for you guys?
1: Well, I would say, you know, there's a couple, but one I would say is, you know, if the crowd is, has kind of grown throughout the show and they've become louder and it's like, you know, you've, you, you had your mix dialed really nice and, and, you know, all the subtleties and intricacies were there and, uh, you know, it just like the whole thing just needs a couple DB, you know, to, to match this yeah. crowd, you know, you might just, instead of trying to reorganize all that nicely balanced stuff, you might just bump up those output faders or your left right or something like that
0: yeah yeah yeah. and i've, I've found the, i found the same thing sorry go ahead Brendan. i didn't know oh,
2: I, I was just gonna agree like yeah if, if if your mix feels really good then like why go through and turn up like a whole bunch of different faders yeah. when you could just bump the master a little bit yeah, you might well, be affecting,
0: also, especially dynamics, if you're running you know? snapshots and things like that. You know, you can't just start bumping up all sorts of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's going to get affected when you hit the next snapshot. You know, that, that's a really good point, though, Joe, because there have been scenarios where I come in, we do sound check, everything sounds smashing, it sounds perfect, but then the room fills up with people, and all of a sudden, my low end is completely different. So yeah. sometimes I end up moving my sub matrix up or down. Yeah. Just to compensate for how much it has changed there, and yeah. I actually, I'll actually say that that's probably a reasonably common change I do. If it's you know somewhere between one and five thousand capacity rooms, yeah. once you're into things larger than that, it doesn't seem to change anywhere near as much. Mm-hmm. But that range right there seems to really change for me. Well, yeah, it gets yeah it gets sucked up a lot, you know. By the, the, the what, do they, what do they call
1: them the uh, the meat ba- uh, ba- meat baffles meat bags yeah. <laughs> Meat, meat baffles, bags, meat yeah. baffles, yeah, blood bags. <laughs> <and they're, laughs> disgusting oh name you can think of for a human being. <laughs> well, let's move
0: on to the next bit, <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get into uh, let's get into order of channels. So, how are we actually laying things out on our console? I mean, uh, I f- yeah, I lay feel like... out
0: the meat bags, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the stage meat bags
1: versus
0: the the audience meat bags. St- <laughs> Definitely.
2: All right. Sorry, Brendan. Uh, no, it's okay. We're in another world right now. Uh, I miss meat bags. <laughs> Once you get? A couple of meat bags in here. It's going to be a hell of a lot tighter. I'll tell you what.
0: I feel like you're emulating every Texas house of blues. Yeah, sir. I'll tell you, brother. Too. I'll tell you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> brother. All right. Snap uh, into a Slim gym. <laughs> All right, so Warrior do you guys all want to do you guys bending? all want
1: to
2: grow ponytails?
0: I, it's I
1: kind of do COVID ponytail.
0: Yeah,
2: that way you can you know your first game co- back co- you can COVID really tail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need some, yeah. I need some cargo sh- cargo shorts too though. Yeah,
0: cargo shorts and a chain wallet. Definitely make sure they're camo cargo shorts yeah. too. Hell yeah. And you need a tour t-shirt from some tour
2: that you weren't actually on.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah, Local crew. Oh, dude. Local crew shirt. Local crew from... <laughs> exactly. I want like uh,
2: a, a Scorpions tour t-shirt from like 88 oh, or something like that, that. That would be sick. Were you born in 88? Yeah, I it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to me that that has to be a question I ask. <laughs> uh, Actually, on a, on a side note, real quick, there's a podcast about how the scorpions. On a side note, he wasn't born in eighty <laughs> eight. <laughs> just kidding, dude. <laughs> All right, podcast about the spor- scorpions. Scorpions might have been uh, involved with the CIA, or like may- the CIA might have written one of their biggest songs to what? like help. Yeah, it's it, look up this podcast. Um, shit, Whoa. I gotta find. I gotta find the name that of it. Sounds but anyways, just very look. tight. I'm pretty yeah, sure if, if you google Scorpions yeah, CIA look, you will find yeah. some interesting stuff. Yeah, look up Scorpion CIA. Oh, it's called Wind of Change. That's what it's called because that's what the song's called. Were they we in Arkadia. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, they okay. may have helped bring down the Berlin Wall. Well, y- you'll you'll find out. Okay. Wow. Anyway, this sounds sounds interesting. Getting yeah, this it's, is getting crazier. It's pretty fun. Cool. Okay. Uh, right. let's get back to it. Uh, yeah. or, or <laughs> yeah. channel channel order. <laughs> Back on topic. Yeah channel order. Okay. So we've got, I mean, the big difference here, right. Is if you're on digital or analog, um, obviously on on digital desks, you can rearrange a lot of times you can just, I mean, sometimes you can just like drag and drop and rearrange your channels. Um, other times you can just like change what inputs are going where. Um, and then on analog desks, obviously you can't do that. And you know, you're kind of, constrained to, like, repatching things to move them around on the back of your console. Right,
0: and, and I guess that is, that's a difference between the physical patch and the layout of the channels on your surface, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> like, channel 1 doesn't have to be fader 1 on a digital desk, but on an analog desk, if the input is patched into channel 1, yeah. it has to be the first fader
2: on the desk. Right. Right, 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 right. So what do you guys do for typical order? Like, you know, what's what's your go-to? Or I actually know. I mean, let's get into like what is the typical order that we see the all the time. Yeah, I so. feel like
0: there's an industry standard there. Yeah. 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 What what do we hit there?
2: Drums
1: first, you know, starting with the kick and then the snares and then, you know, if you're anyone normal, a hi-hat, but if you're Ryan John yeah. <laughs> the toms. <laughs>
0: overheads are hey man, really- we're talking about <laughs> typical order versus optimal order right right this is this is typical this is difficult <laughs> um you know
1: uh, any other anything else related to drums maybe like a drum pad uh and then once you're out, out of drum world you get into your bass lines you know typically maybe starting with the di then going to the mics and then your guitars and then maybe your acoustic guitars and then it kind of gets you know um It kind of gets user specific at that point, but you know, maybe like keys or other percussion, stuff like that. And then vocals at the end and talkbacks after that or at the very, or talkbacks at the very end even.
0: Yeah. Sometimes talkbacks at the very end. And, and I want to kind of jump in there for a moment. Typically, if there's two kick mics, it's kick in and then kick out. (laughs) If there's two (laughs) snare mics, it's snare top and then snare bottom. Oh, well you'd hope so. You'd hope so, but I mean, that's what the standard is. So yeah. if you're going to make guesses on these things, or if you're going to build an input sheet, it is better to build it closer to the standard than otherwise, because people will start making these assumptions anyways, Right. Mm-hmm. even if it's not what you've written there. So if you wrote a sheet that's kick out and kick in, 50% of the time they're going to patch it wrong anyways, so you might as well just flip it on the sheet Right. and have it be yep. in, then out, then top, then bottom. Uh, and another thing to point out is things like guitars, they're typically patched from a house perspective. Right. So house left to right. So that would be stage, stage right, right first, left. Then, then center, then stage left, etc. Right. And if you got multiple on stage left, it's kind of stage left center, then stage left off center, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So basically you go from a house perspective left to right. That's a typical order. And even vocals, I guess it's that way too, right? Yeah. Like uh, yeah. stage right vocal, then center, then stage left vocal. Especially. And then vocals. any extra vocals after that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then tra- if you're doing tracks too, then usually they group those all together, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, what, most what of do the time, do you guys it's see as kind of a typical of track order. Say that again. Because I feel like that's become. What do you guys
0: see as a typical track order? I feel like that's also become pretty standardized at this point. Yeah. I mean, I see. The,
2: I drums. think it kind of mirrors, yeah, it mirrors the regular, the typical order of everything else, yeah. just in its own like kind of subset of the channels, yeah. you know. Right. So you've got like, right. your so, like percussion, drums, percussion, left, percussion, right, and- yeah. Mm-hmm. Bass, bass, and then- synth, other synths, mm-hmm. yeah. Backing and vocals, vocal, yeah. yeah.
0: Vocal yeah, effects after like that. Typic- kind of thing. T- t- typically, what I see is you know, first of all, most things are in pairs as opposed to mono, mm-hmm. and you'll usually get percussion. And then something instrumental, be it you know full on music or be it like low end only or something like that. Sometimes another pair of instrumental, and then you get to things like a you know pair of background vocals, and then you get to things like clicks and count offs or timecode. The mono channels are stuck at the end, right? Yeah. Is that pretty much what you guys see too? Yeah, right. totally. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys are building, uh, you know, your patch sheet, your input lists. Try and keep it closer to this typical order than otherwise, just because it will make your days easier on an average day. Now,
2: what's your optimal order, Brendan? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it's not too far off from the typical order, but I think that's just because I usually don't control my show from the channel faders. So like, I'll be grouping okay. my vocals, and like grouping everything so that they're all like on a different bank or on VCA's where I can control them in one bank. But yeah, I'll I'll, I'll usually go with the typical order, and then and then just control it differently. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'm pretty typical in that sense. <laughs> um, I don't really gotcha. deviate. I don't really deviate from it that much.
0: Joe, are you are you kind of the same?
1: Yeah, I mean patch patch wise for sure. Uh, but if you if we're getting into now optimizing your order, I, we're, I guess maybe we're talking not exclusively, but more so about like layouts on digital consoles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess the philosophy behind both is really just keeping the meat of it together in one place um, and translating that to the analog world. Like, you know, so you're not jumping around. Like if, if you know you're working with like, you know, the drum channels, the bass channels, the guitar channels, and the vocal channels, mostly maybe put those together. And then like everything else down at the end, if you're not going to be reaching for that as much. Um, And then, you know, that applies to the layouts as well
0: on, on a digital desk. Yeah. There's another point I was Basically, you you do Basically, you don't want to end up having to go between two different layers or yeah. something like that on a digital desk in order to get to all yeah. the important channels.
1: Yeah, keep it close together, so, you
0: know? Yeah. One, one thing I see pretty commonly is, you know, on, on digital desks that only have, let's say, 16 input faders, you might have a bunch of drums, then bass, then guitar, but then your vocals might only start around 20. So that means your vocals are on layer 2. And yeah. the rest of your instruments are on layer one. Yeah. And this a is pain. just, a, it's a nightmare to kind of manage this because you end up going back and forth unless you do what Brendan just said, which is assigning those vocals to groups or to VCAs individually so that you can control them from output faders and keep the rest of your instrumentation on the inputs there, I guess.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I think that just helps like optimize for moving fast, right? Like if you have everything right next to each other because of yeah. how you've routed it, then then you know like even if you're not looking down at your hands, you know like all oh, my pinkies like on that kick fader and then the snares after that, rest of the drums, bass. Yeah. So like I could just like kind of move my fingers without like really looking down and right, kind of right. I, I usually just like rest my pointer finger of my right hand on my lead vocal. And kind of I, I
0: will say that is that's one thing I hate about mixing on iPads and mixing on LV ones yeah. is that you have to look at it in order to mix on it. You yeah, can't that's, just feel things out. It bothers
2: me so bad. That's yeah. that I hate. I hate sound checks when I'm looking at the iPad the whole time. Like yeah. even though I can walk around the stage and like talk to people and like be right up close to the monitors, which is great. I mean, that kind of makes up for it, you know, if it's a small show like that, but then when we're actually getting into sounds, I like I miss cues, like, visual cues from people all the time because I'm, like, looking down and moving. You have to look at it, right.
0: You're staring at Facebook. Yeah. You know, one Yeah, exactly. He's definitely Facebooking on there. (laughs) One of the the things I did want to point out about Optimal Order is, you know, just as you just said it, Joe, yeah, I do stuff weird, but um, the layouts on my console are not necessarily related to the patch at all, right? Right. But... I do always make sure I have a layout that is everything in linear order in the patch. Yeah. So that if we're trying to do line checks, sound checks, things like that, I want to be able to look at it in the same way that it is patched in just in case we need to figure things out and move things around. It's a lot easier to look at it that way. Yeah. But then when it comes to actually show... I have things all over the place. I might have a kick group followed by snare top bottom and then followed by a Tom's VCA followed by, you know, like all sorts of different stuff all over the place. But the idea is that I can get as much of the show in front of me in as few faders as possible with as much control. Yeah. Um, But one of the other things I like to do on any desk that allows you to have multiple layouts is when you do line check, Well, first of all, yeah, definitely the song specific. Definitely that, because some songs might have the acoustic guitar, other ones might not. Right. Um, But when we do line check, for me, it's typically one, maybe two guys running around on stage to make sure everything works, right? So there might be a guy up on the drum riser, and he goes through everything on the drum kit. Now, all my drum inputs might be pretty close to next to each other, but maybe I got a drum vocal that's stuck down at the end next to my vocals. So what I'll do is I'll make a layout that is everything drum riser. It'll be all the drum inputs, all the drum pads, uh, the drum vocal. It'll also be all my drum groups. It'll also be all my drum effects and effects returns. Mm -hmm. And then when that guy, that's tech, goes over to, let's say, keyboard riser, everything that's on that side of the stage is in another layout for me all the keyboards, any of the talkbacks that are over there. Uh, if the guitars are over there, those are also on that layout. It's it's almost like I build those layouts so that they are stage position specific. Yeah. And it also includes any of the effects and effects returns that would go with those such a, such that when that guy goes from riser one to two to three to four to five or whatever, I press one button and I have everything that he's now in front of. Press another button I have everything he's now in front of. Press another button everything is now in front of. And that is different than the, pat or the layout I use for the show itself to mix the show. Does right. that make sense? Right.
1: You know, with the layouts and stuff like that, it, and and optimizing the order. What it comes, it, it's it's the philosophy of doing everything you can to make things brainless for yourself. Like you, yeah. You know, there there are so many. There, it's there's it. You know, audio is so complex. There's so many. There's so much going on. Um, to to present. All of the all of this stuff in a way that can make it easier for you to instinctively and like and like without having to think too hard, you know, operate this stuff. That's the goal. You know, you want to make it so right, that you're definitely. you're you're feeling it and you know it's more intuitive rather than like you know, being bogged down by uh you know utilitarian kind of uh processes. You know what I mean?
0: That's yeah. part of it, and, obviously. And if, but- you fi- and if you find a workflow that works for you. If you stick to it, it just becomes muscle memory, and you no longer need to think about it. So, you know, these these things that I say that I do that I know sound weird to everyone else, I've been doing them for 10-plus years. Yeah. So, to me, it's not weird to expect to see the hi-hat after all the toms, and right right before all the other cymbals. Like, that's just where I look for it, you know? And I don't like the idea of an input that's going to a group that's on a different layer that's then going to a mains that's on a different layer. That's then going to a matrix that's on a different layer. So mm-hmm. if I want to look at, let's say, my drum set, I'd like to have a layout that has my kick drum and my kick group and my drum group and my drum parallel compressed group and my mains left, right, and the matrix it goes to, all there in one place mm-hmm. so that I can see that it's made it all the way out of the desk. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. totally. It's It's just a thing that over time I've kind of started to do and I realize it's not... It's not really an entry-level workflow, but it's something to be aware of that most of these desks allow you to customize this stuff like you wouldn't believe. And yeah. once you find the way that it works best for you, keep going on it until it feels like muscle memory. Think of a, think of a console like an instrument. If you had mm-hmm. to think about how to play the instrument every time you tried to play a song, you would play terribly. Right. But if you start to learn the muscle memory of your system, then you are just playing the song. And that is what mixing is. You are just mixing as opposed to thinking about how to do each step of it. So find your way to optimize your system for you. And if you have to jump between many different systems, find a way to kind of create order among those different systems so that they work Mm -hmm. as similar as possible to each other. Right. Right. So now that we've gone through this whole philosophical thing that I just jumped on into, <laughs> yeah. how do we actually make noise? Can we get to making noise? Because we Let's haven't made a bit of noise yet.
1: <laughs> uh, More noise. Yeah. Uh, before that, <laughs> uh, before that, um, there's something we should talk about, and that's you know something that if you're a veteran at this, then it'll come naturally, um, and if you're not, then you got to hear it. Um, bring your faders up slowly. As you do this stuff, um, if you're, you know, if you're inside, don't, don't just unmute with the fader up. That's like, if you're hearing something for the first time, that's kind of like, like, you don't like scaring everyone. You don't want, yeah. you, You don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to, yeah. You don't want to scare anyone. You don't want to blast somebody. You don't want to hurt anybody. Um, it's. Or damage equipment. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to blow up a speaker. Uh, it, it, it's not a good look. It's not a good sound. Um, do, do all these things gradually the, you know, PA systems nowadays can be massive and the amount of amplification, you know, from something as quiet as a whisper, you know, um, it's, it, it's extraordinary. So yeah, just be careful and bring that shit up slow, <laughs>
0: straight up. Um, <clears throat> yeah i mean that that's a good point it really is man there have definitely been gigs i've been to where i've been there while they're doing soundcheck and someone maybe gains something up with it muted just because the, the level looks healthy and all that and then they're like okay this is going to be good and then they just unmute it with the fader already up and it is ungodly yeah. loud yeah and it scares everyone not only does it scare everyone but like you got to remember that your artist is trusting you in this scenario to do something good for them, right? And when you do something that startles not only you but also them, breaks trust. suddenly they have a reason to yeah. not trust you. Yeah, they're like, Whoa, or what's a this reason guy to doing? question the trust. You yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's what's this guy doing? It's, you don't want to give anyone reasons to possibly think that you are terrible. Yeah. Even yeah, if you like, are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> try, to, yeah.
1: try, to, uh, try to try to confirm, I'm not right. you're terrible. I'm not saying yeah. fake it, you know,
0: but Yeah. yeah. Bring it, bring it up slow. End of the, end of the day. End of the yeah. day, yeah. So speaking of bringing gain up to a healthy level, I mean, yeah. Joe, there are different ways that people gain things up. And I think, I, think that, I think that we all do it the same way, but I'm not sure. I mean, what, what are some of the ways that people pull up their gains, and what are some of the smart ways to do this? I guess there's, there's kind of like
1: two... Schools of thought with this, and we've we've touched a little bit on it, but um, you know, it's it it goes between the preamp and the fader, and there's the school of thought of you know with your preamp gain at zero, pulling up the fader, and then working on your preamp gain, and then there is the opposite kind of school of thought, which is you know to bring up your preamp gain with the fader down and observe the meter, uh, and when you see that with the, you know, as you're dialing up the preamp gain, it visually approaches a, you know, healthy level of signal, um, then start to slowly bring your fader up.
0: Um, yeah, so what's what, what's the pro and con of each of these, I guess? So, I mean, I, I, I guess we'll call one of them gaining up to a healthy level and then pulling up the fader, and we'll call the other one putting the fader at unity and then gaining up. So. Right. Gaining up to a healthy level and then pulling up the fader. What's the pros to that?
2: Uh,
0: I
1: don't do it that way, so...
0: (laughs) 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 All right, all right. Well, the obvious pro there um, is you get good signal-to-noise ratio in terms of noise inherent in the console system. So, you know, the preamp itself, the desk itself and all that. And the idea there is that if you're on a digital desk, you have an analog-to-digital converter that is converting this signal from physical voltage into ones and zeros. And if right. you gain it up to a healthy level, you are using many more of those ones and zeros in terms of the, the bit depth of the digital audio that thus, in theory, will give you uh, lower digital noise floor, um, more accurate representation, etc. Right. Um, so, so I get it, and and this is also like if we if we rewind back, you know, 20 years to when you know all of us were recording digitally for some of the first times ever. Um, that's how you were taught. You were taught to trim up the preamp to you know red and then bring it back a tiny bit because that would optimize the signal to noise. Right? Is that how you guys were taught? No. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, man, I, I, I guess I go back to, you know, bad you're older, yeah. A to D converters that were, they required that. I mean, yeah. I remember 12-bit A to D converters. Right. Um, okay, let's ignore what I just said then. <laughs> no. But that, that's the gist. The gist is that you get, you know, good signal to noise, and you get uh, a good amount of level prior to digital conversion right that's the gist of it there all right what's the cons to
2: doing that I mean if if you're doing that then your fader is going to end up just wherever wherever it sounds good right coming out of the PA so your fader could be like only halfway up and then like we talked about you're not going to have that granularity of fader movement um, if you need to adjust the level on that channel Right. I think the easy example
0: is a hi-hat, right? Because if you actually gain up a hi-hat to where it looks like healthy level, it Mm -hmm. is so freaking loud when you actually put that fader up at Unity. So you're going to end up with that fader at like minus 40, at which point you move it a quarter of an inch, you're moving at 10 decibels. Yeah, totally. So, you know, your fader resolution is really low once you're down there. Yeah. All right, so what about what about the other method, putting the fader at unity and then gaining it up? What's the pro? What's the con? I I would
1: argue that at that point you have like a sort of established mix at that uh, th- then with with all of your faders at zero. Um and then it's just small movements from there, you know. Um it's like you said with the hi-hat, you know, your hi-hat isn't gained to all hell. Its fader sitting at zero and and you have that granularity of, that's appropriate for that instrument, you know. Um yeah, maybe the signal's not hitting yellow, but you know, t- pushing the fader up 3dB, you know, you're going to hear a hi-hat come up 3dB rather than, you know, if it was jacked and
0: then, you know, I don't know. It just seems it, it seems the, a little yeah, neater, then, then neater then moving, visually. Moving moving your fader 3dB when your fader's down at -40 is really hard. Right. Exactly. Um, any cons?
1: I, again, this is this is kind of how I operate, and and what I find takes me out of that workflow the most is um, hitting hitting thresholds for certain dynamics processing that I want to use. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it, living by that sometimes uh, my preamp gain is too low to open up a gate or a, a PSE or you know hit a certain compressor um, threshold. You know, without either diming the input gain, or or whatever it is, you know, I I find myself most often often, you know, bringing up the preamp more than it would be
0: had I just left the fader at
1: zero uh, to to hit the thresholds for those dynamics.
0: That makes sense. I mean, I I guess that's another argument for the gain up to the healthy level, right? Is that uh, audio processors, plugins, and and you know, built-in stuff kind of has an optimal working range. And if your yeah. signal is way below that, you're not really going to be in that optimal range for a lot of these things. Especially especially plugins specifically, yeah. a lot of plugins I wouldn't say require, but certainly work differently when you're hitting them a little harder than when you're hitting them very lightly, especially things with saturation, they saturate differently. So, in those regards, if you've got your signal trimmed down really really low, you might end up in exactly the scenario you just described there, Joe, where mm-hmm. it's not really hot enough to actually effectively use that plug-in yeah. or that processor. Yeah. So in those cases, w- you just kind of trim it up a little bit extra, and then in the processor you manage getting it back down to a reasonable level, or w- what do you do there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Ideally, you know, I'll use an, an output gain at that, then at that point to get it back down to a more appropriate level, yeah, with the fader at zero. You know, sometimes, sometimes that's just not in the cards, or I don't have time, and you know what, the fader's going down or up or whatever it is, and that's and that's how we're doing things that day. You know, be be uh, dynamic and be responsive to the situation and adaptable, but uh, you know, yeah.
0: You know, you know, one thing I I do want to point out that kind of goes with what you just said is that um, a lot of people do a lot of their gain staging inside of plugins you know they'll they'll put a compressor on and the output of the compressor will be significantly hotter than what was actually going into it and you know of course it sounds good maybe it's compressing well but you know it is also louder in those scenarios if for any given reason your plugin stops running and it gets bypassed your, your ga- whole mix falls apart yeah, the whole game thing's done cooked, yeah. so you know it is in best practice to try and keep the level going into a plugin the same as the level going out. So, if that means with the what that means is that with the plugin bypassed versus with it on, the overall level of the signal is about the same. You know, the plugin mm-hmm. might be doing great things to it, compressing it, making it all nice and juicy, but the overall level is about the same. Such that if somehow for any given reason, let's say your external wave server goes down, and you have that, to that hit that, that oh happens. shit button. <laughs> Never, never ever does that happen. In fact, usually you can't even get it up and working, so there's no reason for it to go down. There it is. There it is. I was waiting for it. <laughs> all right, I'm burning it. I'm sorry. I apologize. Awesome, uh, no, but um, you know, if if your plug in server or whatever it is that's hosting this extra audio goes down, you still want your mix to work. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not gonna have all the pizzazz and all the fun mm-hmm. and all the cool stuff you got going on, but it needs to work. Did you uh uh-oh for a good reason? Yeah, I lost
1: you guys there for a sec, but just continue. It's all good.
0: You're back. Okay. But anyways, yeah, the just just there is, you know, if 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 you've got this stuff going through a bunch of plugins, you just want to make sure that it does hit it at a reasonably healthy level. Now, mind you, I do the exact same workflow you just described there, Joe, with, you know, I put my fader up at Unity, then I gain things up to what I consider show level. Now, where this also gets interesting is that if you do your gaining... In order from, you know, your input list, in the order of your channels. Typically, you're starting with a kick drum, right? Mm -hmm. So, when you gain up your kick drum, and your kick drum is at a certain level on your master bus, as you start adding everything else into it, in theory, you don't end up much higher than that level, because often your kick drum is pretty hot in the mix, being as it's one of those dynamic things. Kick and snare is usually quite hot. And then Mm -hmm. everything else tucks in underneath it. So just be aware of that, though. If you're going to do this method and put your faders at uni and gain things up, try to start with the things that you expect to be loudest in the mix first, because then you can build your whole gain structure around those things being at the right level, as opposed to starting with some of the quieter things. And then when you finally get to kick drum, now you're at, like, plus 12 on your mains in order to get it at the right level. Yeah,
2: It makes the case for getting the vocals in there as early as possible, too. I mean, because then totally. you can really yeah. build it around around the lead vocal. You yeah. know,
0: I, th- I think when we talked about monitor workflows, uh, I think I had mentioned that what I like to do is get the vocals up pretty much immediately, mostly yeah. because I want to be able to hear the conversation that's happening mm-hmm. while they're getting monitors dialed up as
2: well. So I do start with that really, really early, and then yeah. I'll gain
0: things up you know, beyond that.
2: Yeah, and it helps for, like, you know, once you're bringing up all those other instruments... And hearing them through the vocal mics that are live on stage, especially in a small club, you know, you've got a better idea of what your mix is sounding like with the bleed into those vocal mics as well.
0: You know, right. you know that's a really good point too. Yeah. The fact is, is that your vocal is going to end up pretty loud in your mix and your vocal is going to pick up pretty much everything that's on the stage. So if you get that up early, then as you bring everything else up into it, then you can listen to those other things with this bleed that is gonna be there as opposed to if you pull up you know your kick drum your snare drum on its own you get them all super dialed in then when you put your vocal in now you're kicking snare sound crazy because there's all the bleed from it and it sounds terrible yeah a lot of times (laughs) it just
2: falls apart right there
0: yeah right so if you do it the other way around you end up in a spot where you've already put the thing that's going to ruin your mix in the mix, <laughs> so you build your mix around that. <laughs>
2: That's probably not the best way to the say lowest, it, is it. The lowest it's common denominator, true. lead vocal. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of arguments, I
0: think, for and against this whole the fader unity thing and gaining up. And you know, one of them definitely being the, the, the D to A conversion, another one being the, the plug in optimization. And there are ways to get around that where you can gain things up and then route them through groups and use the groups to trim things back down and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But. The next best question is, "What are the musicians playing when you're gaining stuff up?" That's a great question, actually. You know, um, and I guess what do, we do wanna- you ask the drummer to play play with brushes, even though he's in a metal band? Absolutely not. you know you,
1: you obviously you obviously want a source that's going to be close to what the show is, but more importantly, or more specifically, I should say, um, I, th- I think a good way to work is. You need a, what you're trying to work on understanding here is the dynamic range of what's uh, obviously the tonality too, but but level wise, the dynamic range of of what the source is. So of what's coming off stage? Yeah. So a logical thing for me is you know ask the musician to play the loudest thing first. And, you know, dial that a little bit. And then if, you know, for extra credit, uh, ask them to play the quietest thing that they're going to For gonna extra play credit, yeah. <laughs> and then you can kind of really, <laughs> you can kind of really, uh, you know, understand where your game needs to be to accommodate for both. Or if you need to change it at any point during the show. Um, that's another conversation that I think we're going to have in just a few seconds here.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I think another good point to make, though, is that... Um, Musicians typically don't like soundcheck. They they just don't enjoy being there. They don't try very hard most of the time. And yeah, you when you compare them. a musician's energy during soundcheck to the energy when there's a couple thousand people in the crowd screaming for them, you can... I, I mean, it makes sense. They're going to play louder. a little differently. So, especially with drums, expect at least 20% hotter volume when mm-hmm. the show hits than when you do soundcheck. I feel like that's just common right across this whole industry is that is that that how you guys see it too yeah yeah
2: totally i mean i i definitely when i'm gaining things up i keep that in mind for sure i just like leave leave the extra headroom just in case The, the one thing that i have a hard time with
0: is keyboard patches right because there are so many patches within a keyboard, and very often, they are not leveled out particularly well. So, you know, the piano might be really loud, the organ might be really quiet, the synth might be somewhere in between. And I guess this goes to what you just said, Joe, you know, where you ask them to play something loud and then get the, you know, extra credit points for saying, you know, what's, what's your quietest patch? Yeah. I think one, one of the good things about asking them to do that, and this, this is a good call-out from you, is that you also make the musician aware of how different the volume is between the loudest and quietest patch there. Totally. And maybe in that moment you can actually solve the problem and the musician go, oh, this is really quiet. My monitors and be like, oh, well, can you turn up the patch? Do you know what I mean? And, right. and use that as a moment to kind of address the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, at the source. Yeah. That's a good call. Good call. So you just, you just kind of brought it up as well. So what, what, what are the times when you do change the gains during a gig? Because I imagine that normally you're not riding gains to ride the show, right? Typically, you know, that's what the faders are for. That's why they're
1: in these nice, <laughs> you know, uh, long kind of Nice device ergonomic
0: things yeah, shaped they, for your finger.
1: Yeah, for your little hole for your finger to sit in all nice and neat. You get to push them around like you're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know... There's, there's so many uh, unknowns and there are so many situations you're going to be in, in live sound where you don't know the artist, you've never mixed them before, you're completely unfamiliar with everything that's going on, and maybe you didn't even have a sound check um, and weren't able to ask, go through these processes and, and ask them, you know, it's like, okay, start playing, this is the show, you know, and you're dialing it as they go. Um <laughs> you know then then what happens uh the the second song on the keyboard player changes his patch and uh you know it's 15 db louder and you're clipping you at that point you got to turn the game down that's what you got to do like you that's, at that
0: point have deafened your audience
1: <laughs> <laughs> right you know, yeah it's rough um turn it you know uh,
0: do what you got to do i think mean, that's the the takeaway from this you know yeah, you're you're right, man. I mean that that is how it works. Uh, I guess one thing to be aware of is if you record your shows every day for things like virtual sound check, be aware that if you change your gain during the recording, it's going to affect your ability to play back that virtual sound check later right. because your recording level will have changed. So that's just just understand that that's a thing that exists. Now, this is this this comes up for me more often than it should, but we Have a guest mic on our show, and we expect to, I don't know, have a guest once every four or five shows. Um, And very often, the guest is someone who doesn't normally sing. You know, uh, my artist will pull someone out of the audience and say, Come sing a song with me. What song do you want to sing? It's actually really cool. It's a very fun experience, and sometimes it's amazing. Other times, it's really, really not. Uh, In the times where it's really not, I let everyone yell at me for leaving their vocal too quiet because I'd rather them yell at me than have a terrible show. Right. Or think that that person's terrible. But um, very often, the people that are using this guest mic don't really know how to use a microphone or are just really shy because suddenly they're in front of 15,000 people. And totally. they're not used to this, right? So I remember we did this gig in Romania, and a 10-year-old came on stage. <laughs> and um, they, they ended up pulling out some uh, iPhone earphones uh, and plugged it into a pack and gave her a set of iPhone earbuds. So she was listening to it on a pack. Wow. Now. My artist was talking to her and going, you know, what song do you want to do? Oh, tell me, you know, what's your name? What's your this? What's your that? And in all that time, she was holding the mic down at her waist. So in all that time, I did not get to gain up her microphone. But I had her mic set to exactly the same setting as my singer because it's the same mic. And in theory, it should be at least somewhat close, right? So I didn't get to hear her do a thing through that microphone until she sang her first note. And the the, the thing that's crazy about it is that we've got like three guest mics cuz we got a spare A, we got a guest A, we got a, a a guest B, which is the spare B, just in case the guest mic goes out. Wow. So there are three mics that could have been picked up at this time. And since I can't hear her saying anything into any of them, all I hear is crowd bleed, I just pull up one and I'm like, "It I hope." <laughs> so the song starts. And, you know, everything's sounding good, everything's sounding good, and it comes time for her to sing. And she pulls it up to her mouth, and she starts singing, and it's just full-on distorted. She's like, I'm like, oh, no! So, of course, the first thing I do is I pull the fader down a bunch so that not everyone's, you know, getting blasted with this thing that sounds terrible. (laughs) so fader's really low and it sounds crazy she didn't know i mean for for her it probably sounded okay (laughs) up there maybe they were maybe monitors were smarter than i was and they gained it down a bunch i don't know so as she's going through this first verse i'm like first of all just pull it down just to make sure it's something normal and then after doing that so no one's going deaf anymore i go to it and i'm turning down the gain while turning up the fader It, it it took a took a good I don't know, five seconds to get it done and get it done cleanly. But that five seconds felt like forever. It felt like it was like 20 minutes of me trying to figure out her vocal. (laughs) But it, yeah, it it, it happened. But yeah, I mean, I watched a video later and yeah, it was only like five seconds, but it felt like forever. Anyway, story time's over. (laughs) That was a good one. 10 years old. How could you, Ryan? Oh my God. She was so good though. Like, I'll, I'll have to send you guys a, a link to the video of that and you guys will just make fun of me for the distorted mic at the start but <laughs> I feel like you guys will enjoy it and this, this little girl knew all the ad-libs too so oh, it's wow. not like she knew the record version she had obviously seen videos of the show before or something like that because she did all the live vocals not the record vocals oh, and whoa. she knocked it out of the park it was awesome wow oh, that's crazy yeah yeah it was a good one Anyways, I feel like that's a good place to stop, though, for the first steps of building a front house mix. At this point, we've gone from how do you get everything routed, and now you actually are making sound. Yeah, um, good start. Yeah, I think I think I think part two we should probably get into the details of you know all the more complicated stuff: high passes, low passes, EQs, gates, compression, grouping, VCA's, and just kind of how you manage the show. Right. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. All oh. the knobs. All the, <laughs> what knobs? Do the knobs. Do yeah. <laughs> that's that's what the episode should be called what do the knobs do what right. do
2: the knobs do like what does the fuck oh say
0: <laughs> yeah 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 i'm sure you guys have been asked by people do you know what all those knobs do oh, oh jesus yeah so many how times. is that a question that people still ask how do people not know that this is a joke at this point i don't know man you know it's the same it's the same like
1: why people still scream "Freebird"? like i can't i don't know what is going through these
0: people's minds but you know Hey. I feel like half the people that yell "Freebird" don't even know the song anymore. Either, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, "Oh, oh, that's Freebird." Yeah. They're like, "Oh, that song sucks." What? What was I thinking? Why I, I, don't, I don't like this? that song. I should, I should have yelled "Umbrella." <laughs> 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 we should make that a thing at all the shows. Now we should just start yelling "Umbrella." I yeah. feel like either people are going to assume it's raining or uh, something confusing. Yeah. No one's going to think of the song. No, no, they won't. Yeah. Uh. All right. All right anyways thanks for listening guys like subscribe all those things tell all your friends and um we'll catch you on the extension next episode of this where we get pretty deep into front of house mixing yeah see you next time